right. Well done, well done. Happy Father's Day, all right. By the way, seeing that a second time, did you notice how close that skateboard flying over almost hit that dude? We could have had a lawsuit. Phew, close call. Well, on this Father's Day, I wanna do something a little bit different. Uh, today, I'm gonna share three stories of raising kids and the things that I've learned about God by, by being a dad. And what we see in the scriptures is often to help us understand who God is and can be for us, the scriptures use imagery of relationships that we're familiar with. Like this in Proverbs 18, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Or this one in Matthew, or excuse me, Luke 8. My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Or here we hear how God can be like a friend to us. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Even marriage gives us a glimpse at how close God can be to those who want to be close to God. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Or in this passage, Jesus' closest friend named John writes this, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now these can be beautiful pictures of what could be in our relationship with God. But if we're honest, it's hard for us to fathom what it's like for God to be closer than brother if we had a goofy brother. We don't want a God who gives us noogies, right? A God who mocks us or teases us. And, and this image of the proximity, the, the closeness, the intimacy that we can have with God is, is closer than a brother. It's like a friend, it's like a spouse, or even as a father can be hard for us because the relationships in our life oftentimes are not healthy. They're not representative of what we would hope God would be like. In fact, it, if we're honest, I think that our relationships with fallible humans negatively affects our relationship with God. But I want you for just a moment to consider the best moments you've ever had with a, another person. Think of those really special moments. Maybe it was at the dance with your spouse on your wedding night. Maybe it was a time where you just could not stop laughing with your best friend till you were crying. Maybe that beautiful moment may have been a time with your brother or sister playing as children. Or maybe there was a moment when your dad was there for you. I want you to consider that the best moments with a brother, a friend, a spouse, a father, pales in comparison with the kind of relationship that God offers us through Jesus. And I, I want you to know that God is not hiding from us. God is not far away. He is with us, but we will only find him when we draw near to him. Here's a promise from the scriptures. James 4, 8 says it this way. Come near to God and he will come near to you. See, God is seeking after us. The problem is too often we're the ones who are hiding. So here's the first lesson I've learned, being a father. A lesson that's helped me understand better God. That is this, transformation occurs in the context of freedom. See, too often we have 
short-sighted vision for the world around us. I mean, if we're honest, we live in a really judgmental time where people make judgments about other people and, and even limiting who we're willing to love or spend time with. And I think even in our culture, we become judgmental of people who are judgmental. And it drives a wedge between us. Learning to love people, even when you disagree, even when you look differently or believe differently, is actually a beautiful skill to develop. That's one of the things I love about our community. And we say, come as you are, and we genuinely, genuinely mean that. What that means is you can come with your doubts, your hurts, your skepticism, no matter where you might be, and we want you to be free to be where you are. Because here's what we've discovered. If you are authentic with where you are, you're in a better position to actually make progress than trying to pretend to be someone that you're not. At the church I was a part of before moving to Austin, we were at a church called Mosaic. And the way we would frame it is we would say that you can belong whether or not you believe, or you can belong before you believe. And this was a really hard to understand thing for those who maybe grew up in a more of a religious context. And there are people that don't get come as you are. They don't understand that idea, this idea of belong before believe. In fact, I remember getting some pushback from people saying, how can you let people belong before you believe? I mean, if they start coming to your church services, aren't you worried about their influence they might have on your children? And I thought that's actually a perfect example. Children, we allow to belong before they believe. Some, we're talking about Father's Day today. Some of you are dads, some of you are moms, and you will probably be the first to acknowledge that when a child is born, as beautiful as they are, they come into this world pagan. <laughs> they are the center of their own universe. I had two amazing children. Uh, Caleb is turning 18 this summer. My daughter Trevi is turning 15, and, and raising them has been uh, a great joy in my life. And I have to tell you, children, babies, as beautiful as they are, can be really difficult. They want to eat when you want to sleep. They want to cry when you want to watch TV. They're not the most convenient type of people. <laughs> In fact, they have done studies where they've determined that babies start lying by the age of six months. Some of you are thinking, oh, my kid was way faster than that, <laughs> right? And I've shared this with you before, but when my sweet Trevi was about three years old. She's a strong little girl. I remember one time asking her, Trevi, when you grow up, do you want to be a leader? She looked at me like it was a stupid question. She said, I'm already a leader. <laughs> and you know, she was. At the age of three, every single morning, they shared a bedroom. Her older brother, Caleb, who's six, would get up first. He'd go into the living room and turn on Sports Center. You know how proud I was as a father? <laughs> wake up to the sounds of da-na-na, da-na-na. And then his younger sister would hear the TV at the age of three and she'd walk into the living room. And immediately, Caleb would change the channel to cartoons. But it's worse than that. He would then hand her the remote control. She is the leader. Pray for my son. When Trevi was about four, I asked her, I said, Trevi, when you grow up, do you want to be president of the United States? She said, yes, I want my picture on the dollar. <laughs> Sounds like a politician. <laughs> Ambitious and vain, right? 
And about that same age, Caleb, our son, decided to follow Jesus and he got baptized. It was this beautiful moment. And, and I talked to Trevi. I said, Trevi, would you like to follow Jesus? She's four years old. She looked at me and she said, I already told Jesus I would be his leader. <laughs> That's not what I expected to hear in that moment. My little girl had started her own world religion in which Jesus followed her. Well, Caleb, at about that same time, when he was about four, he didn't quite fully grasp God and how that all works, and, and he hated going to bed at night. I don't know what it is about kids that just hate going to bed, which is like some of the favorite moments for mom and dad, right? They're finally asleep. And so one time I was trying to get him to go to sleep, trying to get him to go to sleep. He didn't want to go to sleep. I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. And I said, Caleb, I finally had to get stern with him. Caleb, you don't understand. It's time to go to bed. It's time to pray to Jesus. He said, I don't pray to Jesus. I pray to Larry Boy. Now, if you don't know who Larry Boy is, he's a cucumber superhero. So my son is not praying to Jesus. He's praying to a cucumber that has plungers for ears. This is not a good thing. About that same time, we had this little Larry Boy video game on our little PC, and I was trying, I could tell he was disoriented as Larry Boy was going around the screen. He wasn't pressing the arrows. He wasn't hitting the space bar quite right. And I kept trying to tell him, Caleb, you're Larry Boy. Press the space bar. You're Larry Boy. Move, move the arrow. Caleb, you're Larry Boy. And I just kept doing it so much. Eventually, he stopped and looked at me and said, I'm Larry Boy? <laughs> I just revealed his secret identity. He had no idea. So what do you do when your child has told Jesus to follow her or your child is praying to Larry boy? Well, we kicked him out of the house, of course, right? You have to believe in order to belong. Of course not. We stopped feeding him for a few days. Of course not. What do you do when someone doesn't quite believe? Well, you let them belong. You love them. You take care of them. And you have hard conversations when the time is right. And something amazing begins to happen. When we love, when we serve, we have the opportunity to influence. And at the age of six, Trevi was on her way with her mom to Trader Joe's, riding in the minivan. My wife, Deborah, leads Trevi to faith. I was so excited to hear this story. And later when they were telling me about it, Caleb was with, in the car with us as well. And I said, Trevi, that's so exciting. Now that you follow Jesus, it's, it's now time for you to get baptized. That's when Caleb said, oh, dad, she already baptized herself in the bathtub. <laughs> so we had another hard conversation. But I tell you, it's in the context of relationship. When you can be honest with where you're at, you have the possibility of moving to where God wants you to be. See, but too often, if you grew up in any sort of church context, there was a misunderstanding about what the church even is. See, to, to say that, that this is a place where only believers are allowed actually diminishes our opportunity to influence the world around us. Jesus would get up in front of crowds and he would share some of the most amazing messages. One of them is the Sermon on the Mount and it tells us that in the crowd where the disciples tax collectors and prostitutes. Now, don't take that personally. I, I, I'm just saying that this is an environment where you can come no matter where you might be and even what profession you might have. The beautiful thing that we see is, see, the church is not a building. The church is not a service. 
The church is not an institution. The church is not a religion. Those who follow Jesus, we make up the church. And when we gather together, the scriptures say, don't forget about the unbeliever. The scriptures tell us to create spaces for people. See, what we're trying to do here is to help every one of us, no matter where we might be, move forward in our journey with God. See, we allow people to belong before they believe, right? And the great example of that is our kids. I have to show a picture of Trevi when she was about three. Let me, let me show you. Look how cute she is. Isn't she cute? But this is also Trevi at three. There she is. <laughs> But you know what I discovered? It's God's kindness, Romans 2, that's, that leads you towards repentance. So you don't kick people out of your life when they don't believe the same, when they make different choices than you would. Then you don't have the opportunity to love or serve or influence. Instead, it's our kindness that can lead the people around us towards faith, the same kindness that was extended to us. See, the problem is sometimes we think of the church as a place that condemns or judges or excludes, but we're actually to be people who love, who bring faith and hope around us. And maybe we don't have a negative view of the church, but maybe we see the church as where we go when we're in a crisis. But I want you to remember, if you've said yes to follow Jesus, then you are the church wherever you go. Our pastor in Los Angeles said it this way. His name is Erwin McManus. He would say, the church is not here to meet our needs. We are the church and we're here to meet the needs of the world. How different would it be if those of us who follow Jesus saw ourselves like that, representing Jesus wherever we go? And what happens is when we're invited in this community and we're given the freedom to explore the possibility that there is a God and that his name is Jesus, it's in that context that when we find faith out of gratitude for all that God has done for us, that's when we begin to change. We don't change because we've been judged. We change because we've been loved. If we lived selfless lives as followers of Jesus, if we showed love and were inclusive and loving enough to have the hard conversations, we will be amazed at the transformation that would happen in the lives of our friends and our family. And we see this and do this all the time. If we can allow our children to belong before they believe, then we can allow other people's children to belong even before they believe, even if they're grown-ups. The second lesson that I've learned in raising kids is trust is more important than understanding. My encouragement to you is that you grow to the place where you have a, a level of faith where you can look to God as your perfect heavenly father and say, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. See, the problem is our perspective is faulty. Too often we think we know what's best. We think we have all the answers and our pride is what actually keeps us from getting help from God or from others. Now, one of the beautiful things that happened when we moved here, our kids were elementary age, but something amazing happens. You hear a lot of people really worried about when kids become teenagers, but I found a great benefit from that. We could leave them at home and leave <laughs> and not get in trouble from CPS. Like it was okay, it was legal. We could literally say to them, in fact, we would do this, Caleb, you need to babysit your younger sister. We're going out on a date. Now, he didn't know this, but we'd go to his sister and say, Trevi, you need to babysit your older brother because we're going out on a date. And one time, and they did really well with this, every single time except for that one time. 
And we were down the street at Opa, this Greek place, and we're having coffee and cheese and crackers. And all of a sudden we get a phone call. It was Trevi. So I picked up and, and she sounded upset, like so upset that I couldn't quite get the details of what was going on. And I asked if, if her life was in danger. No, but everything's going wrong. Everything's horrible. And so I just promised her in the midst of her tears, okay, I'm getting in the car. We're coming home. We race home and we get there and they're both upset. And we're trying to get to the bottom of what happened. Well, apparently in the midst of some argument, Caleb pushed his sister harder than he intended, as if that's okay at all, right? But that was his excuse. I, I pushed her, but not as, I didn't mean for her to fall down. But when she fell down, her phone flew out of her back pocket and shattered. Now it was her first phone. She was riding the bus to school. So we let this little 11 year old girl have a phone and it was shattered. And so was her heart, right? <laughs> It was so traumatic. It was such a big deal. And she's just distraught and could not be consoled. And I kept trying to, to jump in and explain to her, everything's going to be okay. But I was so calm. It actually was making her more upset that I was not upset. But what she did not know that I knew was that her phone had been eligible for an upgrade for months. <laughs> I've been holding out for just this very occasion. And so in the midst of this conversation, finally getting her to calm down, I was able to look at her and say, sweetheart, you don't understand. You're eligible for a free upgrade. <laughs> and she's like, what does that mean? You get a new phone and I don't have to pay anything. <laughs> and so we went and got a phone and all was great with the world. And at the end of the evening, as I try to do every day, I was just kind of thinking through the day, thanking God for the things I'd learned or even the good moments. And in the midst of that kind of twilight, almost asleep, kind of praying, I had a thought that, that was from God. As I was thinking about this very moment, I had this thought, as Trevi was to you, you are to me. I, I was a 40-year-old man. I don't like being compared to an 11-year-old middle school girl. And so I even argued in that moment, God, I'm nothing like, you know, I was when I was 11. Like, I've grown up. What do you mean by that? And it's in that moment that I had this other thought. Then why don't you trust me? And as I wrestled through these thoughts and my own relationship with God, I realized that I am a lot like my daughter was at the age of 11. See, sometimes when things don't go my way, I get really upset. When things don't go exactly the way they want, I, I, I'm actually telling God what to do instead of asking him, what should I do? Actually, when things don't go my way, my faith falters. And I began to ask God to forgive me, to give me a kind of faith that is bigger than my circumstances. I wonder if we began to realize that the chasm between an 11-year-old and a 40-year-old, if that's so big that, that they can't fully understand all the possibilities that a 40-year-old would, would understand, isn't it possible that a finite human being can't possibly understand all the possibilities known by an infinite God? How is it we just stumble into thinking we've got it all figured out when in reality God is there for us with an upgrade but instead we hold on while complaining about what's cracked and broken. See, God is there for us in ways that we could never imagine, but it's our pride that keeps us stuck. 
See, we can still trust God even if we don't understand what is happening or what is he allowing to happen. But here's what I've discovered in my own life. When I get stuck spiritually, it's time to invite people into my life who can see the blind spots that I miss. See, what's interesting is we have a lot more in common with middle schoolers than we probably would want to admit. But middle schoolers, you know, they grow at different rates. In fact, different parts of their body grow at different rates. Have you ever noticed that? Like little middle schoolers, their teeth grow in like adult-sized teeth, but they still have little baby faces. <laughs> or they have these giant feet, right? Even when they're short, right? Or if you've ever been to a middle school dance and, and you see the little four foot eight boy dancing with the five foot eight girl, right? Just, we develop at different paces and the same is true for us spiritually. You might be really mature when it comes to serving, but really immature when it comes to giving. You might be really mature when it comes to forgiving and really immature when it comes to listening to God. The way that we discover our areas of weakness is to have people that we love enough to let speak into our life, to step into community, serving others with others, to step into life group, to step into one of our recovery groups, to still allow people to speak into your life. See, we're not as mature as we think we are. When we get stuck, too often we blame others. We blame our life group leaders. We blame our family. We blame our parents. We even blame God. But when we humble ourselves and ask God to speak to us, ask him to give us an open heart to hear his voice and hear from others, we will be amazed. Now, my parents and my spiritual mentors gave me as much freedom and responsibility as I could handle but they also did not give me all that I wanted. They were willing to have hard conversations with me. They believed in me, and because of that, they were willing to love me through discipline. And God does the same for us. Proverbs 3 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. When we find ourselves in the midst of a crisis, we should, should just pause. God, I don't understand, but I trust you. What do you want me to learn from this? How should I respond to this? Rather than trying to control our circumstances or control others, learn to trust God. One of my favorite verses, Proverbs 3 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways Submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. We don't have the full perspective as finite human beings, but we can trust the infinite loving God no matter what we might be facing. And when it comes to this matter, Jesus said that these words to those of us who have given him our life. Listen to what he says. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hands. I and the father are one. He holds us in his hand. We can trust him no matter what might come, even when we don't understand. Well, the third thing I've learned is that God speaks more often than I listen. Now, about middle school age, you know, there's certain advantages and certain challenges. Now both my kids are in high school. 
And I hate to be the bearer of bad news for those of you with little kids, but eventually they don't want you to tuck them in. Eventually they don't necessarily even want to go to the movies with you or watch the same shows you watch or even share a meal with you. Now we have a little secret. Uh, the way our birthdays work out and with holidays like Mother's Day, Father's Day, we figured out that if we wanna see a movie and share a meal with our kids, we just maximize the holiday. It's the one day that we know they'll be with us. And so today on Father's Day, the four of us are going to watch Cars 3 at Alamo Draft House. <laughs> They're gonna share a meal with us. They're gonna watch a movie I know they would not choose to watch. It's the one day that we can make them do what I want to do, right? <laughs> but here's the amazing thing about teenagers. And we've been encouraged to, to be ready by other parents, to be ready for those moments when your kids do wanna talk to you. And if you're too busy for those moments, you might miss those moments. But to be available, to be open for those moments. And what I began to realize, as frustrating as it might be, when the kids don't seem to be listening or seem to be around, once again, I'm a lot like that with God. I may not have my headphones on like my son does. And I'm talking to him and he's looking at me like he's listening, but I'm not sure if there's anything coming through those headphones. And then he'll insist there's nothing on, but I, I, don't, I don't believe him. So I have him take the headphones off. But you know what? Even if he takes the headphones off, it still does not ensure that what I say he heard, hears. Like you can hear the words, but, but to hear your parents means you do what they say, right? Have you ever said that to your kids? You're not listening to me. Yes, I am then why is the milk still on the counter? I said, put the milk away. No, I heard you. Yeah, but you did not hear me, right? The difference is very important. In fact, in the Hebrew mind, there was no difference between hearing from God and obeying God. If you heard from God, then you did what he asked of you because you knew it was what was best. See, here's the amazing thing. The all-powerful creator God gave you life and has pursued you your entire life. And he's actually wanting to guide you and lead you to experience the fullness of life as he intended. But the problem is too often we're not listening. There's too much noise, the news, texts, emails, the busyness. We, we just get so consumed I mean, let's say even if you came every single week on Sunday and even listened to worship music in your car and spent time every day in scripture and in prayer at least once a day, do you know that's still just scratching the surface of what God wants to do in your life? He has so much more for you and me. If we would just open our hearts and turn off our electronics and just pause throughout the day and ask him to guide us. It's amazing, the best way to hear God's voice is certainly through the scriptures, but what begins to happen as you saturate your heart and mind with the scriptures is that you might be listening to a song or watching a film or having a conversation and God's voice becomes incredibly clear. In fact, one of the ways that I, I've been able to discern kind of the thoughts in my head, which thoughts are from God, which thoughts are mine, which thoughts are from darkness. And it's always fits this little framework. If I have a thought and it requires courage, it's probably from God. If it requires selflessness, it's even more probably from God. And those thoughts always match 
the character of God as expressed in the scriptures. See, if I have a thought that does not require courage and is very selfish, it's probably my thought or darkness. See, what begins to happen as we allow God to speak to us, he actually makes things really, really clear. He makes things more clear than what we could ever imagine. I remember when I was first trying to learn to listen to God's voice, I was gonna start writing down every time he spoke to me, every time I had a thought that I thought was from him, every time there was a passage of scripture, I heard a message or a, a song that, that I felt like was his message to me. And I have to tell you, after two days, I quit writing things down because there were too many things. God is speaking. Are you willing to listen? Here's the amazing thing. When we say yes, when we respond to what we hear from him, his voice becomes clearer and clearer. Now, inevitably, we're human. We're broken people. And so eventually, there may be moments where you know what God wants you to do and you don't do it. Here's the thing. When you turn your back, it's harder to hear his voice. But all you have to do is simply turn back so you can hear again. Notice that our ears point this way. We have to be facing God. We have to be seeking God in order to hear his voice. God is speaking. He has so much more for us than what we could ever imagine. And it's all about relationship. Listen to this passage in John 17. And this is eternal life, that people may know you, the only true God, and that they know Jesus Christ, the one you sent. Eternal life means knowing Jesus the way he knows you. He loves you. He's pursuing you. Just slow down and listen. Turn off the electronics and listen. Look for him in the films and in the music and in the conversations you have. See, too often the problem is we live as if we have no heavenly father. We live as orphans. But we have a loving father who we ignore. He's there to advise us, to guide us, to lead us, to comfort us, to gently rebuke us, to celebrate with us. We don't have to live as orphans. And the beautiful thing is he came to rescue us, living a perfect life, dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And then we as orphans have the chance to choose, are we willing to be adopted by this father who invites us into our home? We get to decide. What happens when we say yes we're never alone again. Listen to God's heart for us. Psalm 68, five. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God has a special place in his heart for orphans and the fatherless. Psalm 27, 10 says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And let's be honest in this broken world, hurt people hurt people. And some of us have been really hurt. And I have to tell you that in the context of life and living, it was so easy to be angry with my dad for so many years until I became one. And I realized how hard it is and how I can't meet all of my kids' needs. My dad could not possibly meet all of my needs. But our Heavenly Father can. And the best job that we can do as dads, as moms, as aunts, as uncles, is to point those we're caring for to the one who can meet 
all their needs to their heavenly father. Now what's interesting is Jesus really introduced this idea as God as father. In the Hebrew scriptures, only 15 times was God referred to as a father. But in the New Testament, God is referred to as a father 245 times. See, we are being offered into a new family in a world that is filled with injustice. When things are not right, there is one that we can trust who will make things right, who will grieve with us when we're grieving, mourn with us when we're mourning, who hurts with us when we're hurting. Here's the bad news. I I found a statistic by R. Matheson. Nine out of 10 people have a father wound. But here's the good news. Today, we can allow God to heal that wound and become wounded healers. Our heavenly father offers unconditional love and we can discover the promise he has for our future. And here's how. Galatians 4, listen to this. When the right time came, God sent his son who was born of a woman and lived under the law. God did this so that he could buy freedom for those who were under the law and so we could become his children. Since you are God's children, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts and the spirit cries out, Father. So now you're not a slave, you are God's child and God will give you the blessing he promised because you are his child. See, you and I are loved by God. We can trust him even when we don't understand what's happening around us. It's even happening to us. God is always there speaking. Are we willing to listen? And these are just three things I've learned about God raising kids. I wonder what is it that God is trying to show you through your relationships about who he wants to be in your life? Maybe it's saying yes, letting him become your heavenly father. Maybe it's to ask him for help in forgiving your father or becoming a better father. Whatever you sense God wants you to do. Respond to that whisper in your heart. Let's pray together. So God, in this moment, I trust that you can do what I cannot, and that is whisper to our hearts. God, speak to our hearts and our minds. Give us an openness. Give us faith that we don't have without your help. God, that we might come to you for healing. We might come to community for healing for people loving enough to be honest with us, that we might lose our life in serving others, that we might find our life. God, whatever it is you're calling us to do, give us the courage to do just that. And God, even as we sing this song, may it become real in our hearts that you are a good father. Even when we don't feel like it, may we sing these words asking you to help us see you as the good, loving father you are. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand together and let's sing this song as our prayer.